Today's show is brought to you by Aptiv. Aptiv is a fabulous app and robust online community that allows you access to top-notch, motivating personal trainers who guide you through an audio-based workout that is timed to your choosing with fun, perfectly synchronized music. Like Netflix for fitness, Aptiv gives members unlimited access to their entire bank of high-end trainer-led workout classes. So if you're looking for fresh, high-quality, on-the-go motivating workouts that adapt to your lifestyle, I highly recommend Aptiv. In fact, if you head over to the curator playlists, you'll see a familiar face. I chose seven of my favorite Aptiv workouts so that you can get a well-rounded mix of workouts that will take you from intense cardio to restorative serenity. And these are some of my favorite workouts to do when I'm traveling or if I just have a spare 20 minutes between activities. And because they're the best, Aptiv is even offering Fed and Fit listeners a free 30-day trial when you sign up for monthly subscriptions at www.aaptiv.com. Be sure to enter the promo code FEDANDFIT, one word, at checkout in your first 30 days or on the house. Welcome back to another episode of the Fed and Fit Podcast. I'm very excited about today's episode. I'm welcoming one of my nutrition heroes to the show today. His name is Rob Wolf. You've probably heard of him. He is a former research biochemist, a health expert, and author of the New York Times bestseller, The Paleo Solution, and his brand new book, Wired to Eat. He has been a review editor for the Journal of Nutrition and Metabolism and Journal of Evolutionary Health serves on the board of directors of Specialty Health Medical Clinic in Reno, Nevada, and is a consultant for the Naval Special Welfare Resilience Program. Wolf is also a former California state powerlifting champion and holds the rank of blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I hope I said that right. I always mispronounce (laughs) Jiu-Jitsu. He lives in Reno, Nevada with his wife, Nikki, and daughters, Zoe and Sagan. Welcome to the show, Rob. A huge honor to be here. I always feel like I should be taller than five foot nine with a uh, bio like that. So thank you. <laughs> oh, well, you are larger than life. That's definitely for sure. Thank you so much for coming on. I am, you know, I think Diane said it best when Diane Sanfilippo, when your book uh, first came out, she was said something along the lines of, I'm so excited. It's been a long time. I can't wait to see what else you have to teach us. And that really is how I look to all of your work. Um, I've heard you speak several times and I, it's one of those where I furiously take mental notes. So thank you so much for making time. Um, I would love it if you would just share with folks. It's 20, the paleo solution came out in 2010 and I still have memories. I've been in, I've been following a paleo template since about 2000 or in the past eight to nine years. Um, and your book was one of the very first out there. I'm sure you hear that all the time, but, um, it really was influential. So what have you been up to since then, aside from all the research and work that has gone into Wired to Eat, I'd love it if you would you'd share a little bit with folks. Sure, yeah. Uh, one one thing in that mix, we had two kids, so that was <laughs> definitely a, a game changing event, as as folks pretty pretty well understand. But in the in the process of having the first kid, Zoe, we moved to Reno, Nevada. Um, we didn't really know where we wanted to end up long term. We wanted to get out of California. We spent nine months in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and it was really beautiful. But it's kind of a retiree scene, and not a not a ton of people, uh, you know, being breeders like we were. And so <laughs> we we were just kind of casting around. But my my wife's father lives in Reno and has been here since two thousand eight. And so we 
came up here and started poking around and found a house that we liked that was just down the street from the soon to be grandpa. And so we we moved here and we were in town maybe three weeks and I got a phone call just out of the blue from a guy who identified himself as Greeny. And he said that he was part of a medical clinic here and he wanted me to come down and check out what they had going on. And so I, I, I went and checked out this medical clinic. And when I walked in, my jaw just literally almost hit the floor. They had copies of my books for sale, Lauren Cordain's books, Gary Taub's books, and, you know, most mainstream medical establishments. And these are MDs. And I'm not, wow. I'm not beating on Kairos or anything like Kairos and all these other kind of alternative healthcare providers are always more avant-garde. So it was that much more stunning that a bunch of MDs and, and dietitians were in a clinic that were <laughs> that was selling my book, you know, and uh, Greeny ended up being Dr. Jim Greenwald, who's a now retired, but formerly pretty famous orthopedic surgeon. And they had just wrapped up a pilot study with the Reno police, Reno fire department, where they found 35 people at high risk for type two diabetes and cardiovascular disease, got these folks eating a lowish carb paleo diet, modified their sleep and exercise. And based off the changes in their blood work and their health risk assessment parameters, it's estimated that the, the pilot study alone saved the city of Reno $22 million with a 33 to one return on investment. Amazing. And yeah, it was totally amazing. There's nothing else like it in the world. And, and, uh, kind of similar to the, to the UFC when I, when I've been taken to task a, a few times on the uh, social media about, you know, isn't the paleo diet just a fad? It's not really effective. And I'll just say, okay. And so I'm now on the board of directors of this medical clinic and I've been helping to develop this program and bring it out to the masses, which has proven to be much more challenging than I originally thought. Uh, the, the healthcare system is an absolute quagmire. It needs a neutron bomb and it just needs to be like blown up and, started over again but that's a that, that's a podcast of a different topic and <laughs> nobody would want to listen to it but um you know i I've, I've thrown out there to these these folks that are kind of questioning this paleo diet methodology i say well what have you got and they're like well the china study that's that's mm. not even in the same realm as what i'm talking about i've got a tightly controlled clinical intervention with a cost benefit analysis at the end of it you you've got a fairy tale basically so you know, so th this event happened, and even though clearly I've been, you know, an advocate for the paleo diet for a long, long time, almost 20 years now, it, I, it, sometimes I still wonder if I'm just the crazy old guy who's, who's, you know, ranting on and on about inane stuff that really isn't valuable. And when, when this, when this study went down, and and in talking to the doctors and the dietitians and the statisticians and everybody that, that worked on this thing. I was like, okay, man, there's really something powerful here. But at the same time, I've also noticed over the, the past 20 years that, you know, this basic paleo template is an amazing place to start, but it's not always the final destination for folks. You know, there's a mm -hmm. lot of detail and nuance and uh, that that's kind of where the back end of the book emerged when I, I learned about this concept of personalized nutrition. There was a, a paper that came out of the Weizmann Institute in Israel about two and a half years ago. And basically it, it was this story that that really kind of blew everybody's hair back that uh, our individual response to foods, particularly carbohydrates, tends to be massively variable. I, I mean, just so much variation and how we respond to carbohydrates that that there's not a lot of rhyme or reason 
And it makes it really dubious to make any kind of a one size fits all recommendation. And, and uh, you know, again, even though, you know, this basic paleo template is built around eat wholly, whole, largely whole unprocessed foods, mm-hmm. that can be really different things from person to person. My wife and I just did a, a little quantified self experimentation where I had a battery of carbohydrates and check my blood glucose and she did the same thing. And even though my wife is 30, 35 pounds lighter than I am, which would you, you could make an argument she should have had less good blood glucose control just based off the fact that she's like a third smaller than I am. Mm-hmm. But she had 50 to 60 percent better blood glucose response to these various foods. And it, it, it kind of highlighted what I've suspected for a long, long time, which is that I'm not all that good at handling carbohydrates and my wife is actually pretty remarkably good and uh you know the 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 other piece that came together on the wired to eat in talking to people lots of folks had success or at least they looked like they were having success from the outside but they would get three months six months into this process whether it was working in a gym or or part of a medical clinic and the person would just spin out and they were gone Hmm. and in in chatting with them, it, it took a little bit of digging, but the story that I got was that the person, even though they were experiencing what what looked like great success from the outside, there was a ton of internal struggle. And that internal struggle kind of focused on this I- internal dialogue, kind of to the effect that this is hard, I'm just not strong enough to do this, this is easier for everyone else, there's something in me that's broken, and so I'm just going to give up. And that was really kind of the it, it took me a long time to really hear what people were telling me. I mean, lots and lots of people told me this story. And in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, man, your genetics are different. You know, you shouldn't expect this to be easy. But I didn't have a good way of articulating this. And mm-hmm. I did a paleo FX talk. And this is ending up being the longest answer to the shortest question. I love it. Keep going. I'm, I'm almost done. Um <laughs> I guess three and a half years ago now at, at Palo FX, I, I did a talk on this paper that looked at human brain evolution and the omnivore's real dilemma. And it, it just it was so interesting because it's a very technical paper on the one hand, but it also it has this real empathic emotional piece to it. And it, it makes a really powerful case that if you live in this modern world and you're not fat, sick, diabetic and broken, you're kind of screwing up. Like you could mm. you could make that argument, you know, from a evolutionary biology perspective and the the corollary of that, the flip side of that is that if you find it difficult to, you know, decouple yourself from the snack food aisle, from you know, ordering every tasty delectable treat imaginable, if you find it difficult to navigate this modern food world and social media and all the things that have been designed to effectively be addictive, you can't be surprised by that. Like the whole world is stacked against you in this regard. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't recommend that people just roll over and die as a consequence <laughs> of this. Mm-hmm. You know, we I, I, I think that we need to fight and struggle. But if you can just understand that it is not your fault, yeah. it is totally reasonable that, that this stuff is difficult, but we're going to fight the good fight. We've got a plan. We've got a strategy. And part of that strategy is is just completely exercising these negative emotions and and the drama around dietary change. 
if we can start with that spot, then we've got a way better chance of really making this thing work. Oh, man. Can I and throw in the last seven years? <laughs> I love it, Rob. Man, hallelujah. That's awesome. You know, you said, I don't remember if it was that same talk you're referring to at Paleo FX. I don't remember which year it was, but I heard you speak. I want to say you were sharing the stage with Mark Sisson at the time. Okay. Um, but, or maybe you weren't. I don't, it's all kind of fuzzy at this point. But you, you drew on the PowerPoint, it was a bullseye. And you, I think you had said that um, at one point in time, I think you said 10 years ago at the time, modern science said that veganism was the optimal dietary solution for human beings. And, um, you know, now that's kind of moved out. And now we have this paleo primal approach. And we've thought now we're getting closer to the center. But we're still not. We haven't struck the center of the bullseye. Um, and it was really enlightening to me. Now, that was years ago. And I can see the Wired to Eat being this uh, personalized nutrition being closer and closer to the center. Because at the end of the day, you know, every person knows for themselves. And it was, I just want to tell you, that was incredibly influential. And it was from then, however many years ago it was, that I started to build a program based on, I call it, helping folks find their perfect you plan. Um, not, mm. not nearly as scientific by any stretch of the imagination. I'm more on the feel-good side of journal how things are making you feel. And at the end of the day, a piece of cake is just a piece of cake. Um, and... And what's going to look right for you isn't going to look right for other folks. And anyway, so it was just incredible. So I, I mean, amen to everything you've said. Oh, that's awesome. It. That's awesome. And you know what? Uh, uh, to your point, perhaps um, the you know we are drowning in information. Mm -hmm. We are drowning in technicality. And in, in 2013, there were I believe 30,000 peer-reviewed journal articles published on type two diabetes alone. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that's more than any person. It, it is physically impossible for one person to stay on top of all that information. And yeah. and it's doing nothing to move the needle in reversing these diseases. They're still increasing at, at largely exponential rates. There's been a little bit of a, a flattening of late. And the, there's some suspicion there that, that it's just that uh, – People can only get so sick so fast, you know, so it's it's not even like we're really making progress. It's just, you know, it could be a hallmark of human resilience. So, you know, what we really need are coaches and practitioners that are articulating this message in a way that that provides enough of a framework to get people moving in a good direction, but also enough latitude that they can find that individual bullseye that is is lurking within them. And it's going to require a little bit of fiddling and shuffling and, and being non-dogmatic about the, the approach. And, and there's going to be a, oftentimes a lot of emotional stuff that comes up that we need to, we need to be able to address. We can't just, you know, sweep it under the carpet and hope that it, that goes away, which is, um, you know, it's funny that now I'm talking so much about like emotions and, you know, past traumas and everything, because I, I honestly have the emotional acuity of a turnip. Like <laughs> I, I, I just, uh, literally in my 23 and me genetic testing, it said that I was like 600% less likely to be em empathic <laughs> than the average person. And this may be why all of my projects involve like trying to save the world. Like the only way that I actually feel any emotion, it's gotta be like the, you know, oh, it's the world or nothing kind uh -huh. of deal. So you know, so it's interesting um, that I've arrived at this spot, but it, it's uh, it, it's the the 
the tr- the stumbling block that has popped up again and again and again has been articulated to me. And I've tried doing this reductionist scientist approach to deal with it. And it fails. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, more information isn't what folks need. What people need is understanding and caring and occasionally a good stout, you know, whack on the backside to get them moving in a, a better direction. But what you're doing is is what we need. It is absolutely what is needed. Well, that's really kind. Thank you. And you have a lot of listeners that are nodding their heads along with you because we talk about this a lot on this show is personalized nutrition and the idea of individual wellness, bio-individuality, but more on the introspective side of it versus um, a biohacking kind of side. So I think this is a great spot to stop and hear from one of our sponsors. Prep Dish is a healthy subscription-based meal planning service that you guys, I personally use and trust for paleo and gluten-free friendly meals. When you sign up, you'll receive an email every week with a grocery list and instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. After only one to three hours of prepping on the weekend, you'll have all of your meals ready for the entire week. You'll save time and have amazingly delicious meals like smoky paprika chicken legs with a trio of roasted vegetables or turkey and zucchini lasagna. I have been blown away by the quality of the recipes and how easy they make meal planning. The founder, Allison, is offering you, the lovely Fed and Fit listeners, a free two-week trial to try it out. You really can't beat that. Check out prepdish.com forward slash fed and fit for this amazing deal. Again, that's prepdish.com slash fed and fit for your first two weeks Free. This is a no-brainer. You're going to love it. Yeah, that's wonderful. And another similarity, I'm jumping around a little bit, but um, another similarity between <clears throat> what you talk about in Wired to Eat, significant features in Wired to Eat, and what the Fed and Fit community is really familiar with, what I call are the four pillars of health. We've got mindset, rest, hydration, which I lump into as one because they're pretty low-hanging fruit together, and then food, and then fitness. And I know that the topics of sleep, exercise, and community are really important features of Wired to Eat. And there is this perspective, especially I'm sure you coming from the paleo solution, and um, paleo I think has evolved to be a little less dogmatic year after year. Uh, But if you could speak to a little bit about why it isn't just all about food. Oh man, you know, I really wish it was just about food. Um, it would only be one lever to pull instead of, you know, like six of them or four of them or however many we want to break it down. The The reality, though, is that our food influences our sleep and our community and our movement mm-hmm. and our movement influences how we sleep and the food choices we make and the community connections we have. Um, community connections, if people have inadequate social connection, it's as damaging to their health as a pack a day smoking habit. Um, Altered circadian rhythm, altered sleep makes us more likely to seek out processed uh, hyper palatable food. So it's really this, this, uh, this matrix. We need to address all of these different features and we kind of need to do it to some degree all at once. Now I, I, I tend to be, kind of a jump in with both feet kind of person. Mm -hmm. Clearly there are folks that, you know, uh, just simply getting them to not drink soda would be a huge win, you know, or even 
shifting them from sugared soda to diet soda as a beginning. And we had a client that I described in my first book. He had literally not drank a sweetened beverage in 20 years. I mean, the, the notion for him of just drinking plain water, like the guy literally, if he was traveling and he couldn't get like a soda or something like that, he would go all day without drinking water because water, plain water seemed so disgusting to him that he couldn't wrap his head around drinking it. And the guy was uh, five foot ten and 420 pounds when he started working with us. So he, that, that, that strategy was was not bearing great fruit, you know. So um, for him, uh, uh, we had to start with really incremental baby steps. And the first thing was – Hey, by by the end of this month, you are going to start drinking water. And mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, as horrified as the guy was, eventually he started drinking water. And, and this was the beginning of kind of resetting his appetite and resetting his, his palate. And so, you know, we do need to think about all these different factors. And it, it uh, to the degree that we get that right, it becomes very much a virtuous cycle that it makes everything easier and easier. Absolutely. It's a snowball rolling downhill. It it picks up speed and becomes more difficult to stop something that's in motion. Well, that's wonderful. I think that's a really um, important topic. And we do talk about that a lot, but I just, I just wanted y'all to hear it from Rob. (laughs) And man, my publisher wanted to wring my neck because the the book is really long Uh and there's a ton of material that's not specifically food or you know, diet related. And they're like, really, do you need all this? And I, I was kind of like, yeah, I, I, I do. I wish I could, I could address all this stuff in, in, uh, 150 pages instead of 400. But yeah, we need to tackle all of this. Oh, that's so funny. I went through the same thing and I published my book with victory belts. So they're really mm-hmm. easy to work with. Um, but I remember thinking because I took a program that was about, you know, it's a choose your own storybook ending kind of program, right? That's how they arrive at the PYP, the perfect you plan. And mm-hmm. taking something from an endless amount of question Q&A between a practitioner, you know, like, or a nutrition consultant like myself and a client, and then putting it into a finite number of pages, there's no way that you can talk about all that stuff. And he said, I right. said, can I have a little introduction room? He said, sure, Cass, whatever you need. And it accidentally blossomed into another 100 pages. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah. So, yeah. But they're great. Um, okay, switching gears once more. Okay, so this is a really hot topic for you, and I'd love it if you could address it here. The notion of cheating and what role that would play in healthy or unhealthy eating, because that's something that comes up a lot. People like to have cheat meals or cheat days. What's your perspective on that? Right. Oh, man. Yeah, I've had people literally want to hit me, like <laughs> lunge across the table and hit me with this. Uh Okay, so this, to really understand it well, this gets out in the weeds a little bit, but humans are primates. Mm -hmm. All primates have a really profound sense of justice and right and wrong. And this may be kind of weird for people. Folks are like, monkeys and chimpanzees have a sense of justice. And yes, (laughs) they do. Like if you read any of Jane Goodall's stuff or primatology, like if – if one individual, you know, there's kind of deals and bartering that goes on and there's a really a, a, a quite refined sense of like, oh, this is a good deal versus a bad deal. I'm, I'm being taken advantage of or or what have you. And individuals that cheat people or or or, you know, members of their community, they get socially ostracized. Like there's some really heavy ramifications and and uh Individuals get pissed about it, like they don't like being mistreated. 
And and so this is something that's woven deeply into our DNA, this this uh, sense of justice and right and wrong and what have you. Okay, now when we look at the term to cheat, the word to cheat, like the Webster's Dictionary, is to take unfair advantage of someone, to to um, you know unfairly exploit someone or some situation. Okay, mm-hmm. now whether you're eating paleo or vegan or macrobiotic or what have you, how is eating something that is not on the plan taking unfair advantage of anyone? Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not. But because we have this really tightly woven sense of, of guilt and morality and right and wrong, if we assign the terminology, the psychic energy of cheating to a non-cheating process, then we're going to feel all the guilt and the impact and the drama and the hamstringing by doing that. Mm-hmm. And so what, what people do is they take a, a really important feature of our, our culture, you know, uh, treating people and other members of, of our society well. There's some good reasons for doing that, not the least of which is that the person doesn't turn around and try to kill you. But, you know, there's there's all these important reasons for doing that. But they take this really important kind of social concept that's just woven into our DNA and they apply it inappropriately to just eating food. So that that's a big part of it. And so they're able to experience just profound shame and guilt in a in a really inappropriate way. Mm-hmm. We eat and we have consequences of eating. You either, you either feel better or you feel worse or, you, you know, what have you. That that's that's the totality of that that whole story. And then additionally, the folks like I really hate this notion of a, quote, cheat day, particularly when it's thrown out there in the following fashion, you know, you're supposed to do it once a week on Saturday. And what happens with that is by Monday, maybe even Sunday, you're already planning the next bender mm-hmm. and you start thinking about it and planning. And when you look, if you talk to drug addicts at all, or if you do do any reading or, or listen to some YouTube interviews, they the the planning of taking the drug, particularly is someone like a, a heroin addict where they've got a box and they've got needles and a spoon and a burner and all this stuff. There's all this gear mm-hmm. and just the process of getting the box out and opening it up and tying their their, you know, the tying their arm off and everything. This is it, the, the drug addict will report that this is almost as good, almost better than taking the drug itself. So this anticipatory process of building up to taking the substance hits that that dopamine hedonic center of the brain in a way that is completely addictive and really powerful. And so this is a fantastic way for, for basically damaging the wiring of your brain to need a stimulus that is so powerful and so over the top that you you are effectively addicted to it. So I I, uh, I don't see people very often who plan these these cheat day benders in who are doing well. They've mm-hmm. got problems. Like it, it ends up being you know instead of one meal, it's a week or a month of off rails eating. And so instead, what I the you know I recommend uh, one of two strategies. If you think about it, we tend to eat three meals a day seven days a week, that's 21 meals. So I say, why don't you just, you know, two meals a week, kind of kick your heels up, do, do more or less what you want within the, the mm-hmm. guidelines of, 
if you go so far off rails that you can't get back on it the next meal, then you you went too aggressive on that. Mm -hmm. Um, But even more than that, I just encourage people that when things pop up, you know, if you go out to a nice dinner and there's a fantastic dessert and you want to have some of that, have some of that, you know, just don't have it in the house. We don't have if you're relying on self-control to win the dietary, you know, war, it's not going to happen. Like we are not wired for self-control. We're wired to eat everything that's not nailed down and then rest. So uh, that that's kind of my long drawn out story on on cheating. And again, like it, it's a really pretty controversial topic and people get pretty cranky about it. But when I've also when I've taken these folks and sat them down and walked them through this whole story, uh, the anger kind of gets replaced with this. You can see this awareness in their eyes and like, oh, OK, I get it. Like I, I get how this could be a really it, it's playing with fire. You know, mm-hmm. tackling this this whole concept with the uh, with the terminology of cheating, and then also making cheats a a planned drug like activity. I had never thought of it that way, Rob, but I love it. I am I definitely try to promote people just to avoid the terminology of a cheat. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they have, for example, if someone goes to a wedding and has a piece of wedding cake, instead of viewing that as, you know, well, I'm going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, what's one piece of cake? Because it becomes an emotional decision, you know, and mm-hmm. a decision of value and of guilt and of self-worth, you know, taking just then focusing on the actual physical body, how you're actually feeling, and then writing that down as a lesson learned is the only way that I found to kind of help people get over that. But I really, really love what you're um, what you've said. And it's interesting. It's also it, because when you look at other nutrition programs that are out there that are maybe a little sexier are the ones that have cheat meals woven in. Right. And, um, and that's an interesting, that's really interesting because to gear people down, you know, to your point, new personalized nutrition, it is, it's a windy road and no two look alike. And that's just difficult to really put a lot of bells and whistles on, but that's wonderful. Really powerful story. Okay. I would love it if you would talk about, um, the program in the book, the carb test and how it's presented. And if you think this is, is is this something for everybody to try? I, um, the everybody part has a caveat. So the, (laughs) the context of the seven day carb test, it does come ideally after doing a 30 day reset. And the 30 day reset comes after doing a really pretty slick and very important triage process to figure out where you are in this whole health story. If we don't know where you are and we don't know where you're going, we don't have a map. You know, we need a start and a destination basically to, to be able to make any sense of any of this stuff. And part of that, that figuring out where you are on this kind of health map, I start with some subjective elements. How do you feel between meals? What's your cognitive functioning like? Are you, are you clear headed or foggy headed? And then we get more granular. We start asking some questions that are much more objective. What's your waist to hip ratio? What, what's your fasting blood glucose? What's your A1C? What's your blood pressure? And so we use that to establish a baseline of relative insulin sensitivity versus insulin resistance. And then we plug into what, what's generally a pretty standard paleo type diet. Although in the book I do, there, there's four different plans in the book. There's a paleo basic plan, autoimmune paleo, a transitional ketosis, and also a, a ketogenic diet, a nutritional ketosis plan. So this triage process helps you to, it's kind of like, 
dropping a marble down a, a kind of maze. You know, it, it rattles, you know, left, right, left, right. And then it, it, it drops you in at this spot where you've gone through a reset. Hopefully your gut is healthier. Your appetite is better regulated. And then I do recommend that people do this seven day carb test where we get an inexpensive glucometer. We pick a battery of carbohydrate foods and we test those. We test them at the same day each day. And this thing is is important. Be, and it's kind of funny because my, my publishers were like, oh, man, this is great. Carbs are back on the menu. And I'm kind of <laughs> like, well, we'll see. And what I what, the reason why I did this the way that I did is when I suggest to people, hey, you might not be able to eat carbs or this type of carb with all that much frequency, if you want to be healthy, they get all angry and cranky and feel like you're you're being restrictive. And, and so they just throw their hands up and they're done. Whereas if I say, heck, who knows? Maybe maybe you can eat tons of French bread. Let's test that out and see what the <laughs> heck happens. Then it's not me telling them they can't do it. It's yeah. their personal experience and the blood glucose monitor looking them right in the face and saying, Okay, you've got diabetic blood sugars off this and you feel terrible after this meal. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? And and so it's kind of funny because there's been this kind of gnashing of teeth, you know, where it's like, why are you recommending all these carbs? And it, it, I'm not recommending them. I'm recommending that you test them. And even within that, people are like, well, why don't you take chromium or, or you know, take some uh, vinegar to reduce the blood sugar response? It's like, well... Those mitigative strategies are great, but I want to know it, you know, mm -hmm. under the most unideal circumstances, <clears throat> excuse me, how do you do? Mm -hmm. How do you do with that bowl of rice? How do you do with those lentils? And if it's a bad option for you, let's be honest about that and, yeah. and, and you know, act accordingly. And so that's the, the kind of background story with the seven day carb test. But the, the carb test is really you, you need that that triage process in the front because that really provides a lens for understanding what's going on on the blood sugar testing side, because there's some different things that can happen, like your your blood sugar can go high and then it can be lower than what it was at, a, at the beginning and, and different things like that. And you, it's hard to make sense of that unless you have that that baseline of your insulin sensitivity, insulin resistance. And then you asked a great question, which is, should everybody do this? If you just know in your your soul that large amounts of carbohydrates don't do you well, you have like some small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, you've suspected that a ketogenic diet is is the, the thing that's going to work best for you, you're type 1 or type 2 diabetic – there is no reason to do the carb test. Mm -hmm. We know that you're not carb tolerant. Let's just, you know, you could play with with testing your blood sugar after generally low carb meals and maybe play with what what some kind of outer boundaries with that, but you know, this is uh, it's it would be similar to knowing someone is say like a type 2 diabetic or peridiabetic and then giving them an oral glucose tolerance test. We already know they're kind of broken. Mm -hmm. So why are we going to, you know, send their blood sugar levels skyrocketing just to reaffirm what we know? So so that's the one caveat in that. Like if you know that you just don't do that well with carbs in general, then it, the, the seven-day carb test may not be your best bet. Now, the caveat with that is if you motor along for quite a while and you just, man, my gut health is feeling good, I'm lean, my sleep is on point, then yeah, that might be the time to, to give that seven-day carb test a shot. 
learn some neat things about yourself. This is so exciting. I'm going to go do yeah. the seven-day carb test, Rob. Awesome. I'll keep awesome. you posted. It'll be a fun way to keep the conversation going. Well, my last question before I let you go, I know you have a lot going on right now, as always, but I'm just curious what you think is, what's the call to action from this point, aside from reading the book, which I want to give a call. I'm thinking of 12 people right now that I want to actually give the book to because uh, I want them to hear it from you. You tell, you tell the story so exceptionally well. Um, but what is the call to action at this point from the consumer who has more questions about themselves um, to practitioners listening that are nutrition consultants and are wanting to really personalize their business from here and they like what you're saying and they're trying to figure out a way to help coach others? Any pieces of advice you have for them? Oh man, that's a great question. So Diana Rogers, who who's uh, practicing RD, she has been using the the whole program and uh, has found incredible benefit in walking through this whole. It's not your fault. So there's kind of a mm -hmm. couple of different pieces to it. You know, helping to unpack the the emotionality around this stuff and and really allaying people's fears and and uh, the, the the guilt and the you know kind of self-loathing like she's found a lot of benefit in couching things in those terms so if you have a practice I would really pay particular attention to those sections like the the uh, uh, brief word on cheating and also the the healthy relationship with food part of the book like I would pay a lot of attention to that and kind of the terminology that I use and the way that I unpack all that and Diana said that she's basically done like an Arthur Murray dance school kind of gig. Like she took some notes on what I, what I said and like client after client, it's like the same, same story, same drama. She has people break down in the office. They're like, Oh my God, I've always thought it was my fault. And she's like, it's not your fault, but I'm here with you. We're going to get through this. And people are having really good success. And then she is using that seven day carb test because it's, it's interesting because it's kind of like, hey, if you do this, we're, we are going to figure this out. We're going to map the world that you can exist in in a really healthy, effective way. And this is the way that we're going to do this. And she's had some great success with that. So, you know, I would encourage folks to to keep an eye open for for all of those opportunities. Also, with the the clinic that I'm I'm on the board of directors of here in Reno, we are working on a program where you folks like you can refer your your people to us. We will get the blood work, the screening that we recommend within the book, and then you and the the your client or patient will get a beautifully written report, a custom custom report that explains where they are in this story. Mm. Um, folks can go get this blood work virtually from anywhere. But what you end up with is a bunch of numbers, and now you're more confused typically than what you started with. Whereas if you if you get this through the the clinic, you're actually going to get a written report that's describing everything that's going on and what our our suspicions may be around this this story. And so that's that's in pro progress. Um, two weeks, three weeks, we we should have that up and available at least in a beta format, so that uh, practitioners like you can refer their folks to to that process and then you you really have a great tool to be able to sit down with folks and, and help them understand where they are in this story yeah wow how valuable that's wonderful I highly recommend and I'll update the show notes for this episode for everybody listening uh, in the future if you want to see if that's live I'll include a link as soon as it's live Rob great that's that's genius Awesome. Rob, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show today, for sharing all of your awesome research and just where you've been for the last seven years. 
and for constantly moving the industry by leaps and bounds forward. Um, it's incredibly validating for myself. I know a lot of listeners here who really do believe in this personalized nutrition approach. So thank you so much for all that you do for this fabulous book. I'm sure you can find Wired to Eat everywhere books are sold. I've seen it at Costco. I've seen it at Barnes & Noble. Um, anywhere else, I'm sure you can order it on Amazon. But um, anywhere else you'd like folks to find you, Rob? Uh, just robwolf.com is where I, I'm hanging out and I'm spending most of my social media time over at Instagram. The, uh, the After the last political cycle, uh, Facebook, I, I just can't really <laughs> deal with anymore. And so I, I'm over at Instagram. My my handle there is at Das Rob Wolf, kind of like German Das, das R-O-B-B-W-O-L-F. And I'm posting a lot of uh, continuing self-experimentation both with myself and my wife. Um, she's kind of like Wolverine, like she's impossible to kill. So it's a, <laughs> it's an interesting, um, you know, juxtaposition between her metabolism and my metabolism. And, and it, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So if you cruise over to Instagram and follow me there, there's some, some very cool stuff that we're rolling out. There is, and you guys are such an awesome partnership. I do. I follow your Instagram, and I remember your um, your post about the marshmallows. I encourage everybody to go look Rob up on Instagram and pull up his video on the marshmallows. I think it's really interesting and shows about hyperpalatability and how we can change food. And it was an interesting call to action for me, Rob, as a recipe developer, because I thought, oh goodness, if I'm making hyperpalatable food, I need to make sure it's really good for them. <laughs> yeah, it, and you know, it's 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 a really interesting point because you know we can't expect people to eat cardboard, but at the same time, there are some really easy ways that you can take something simple like a sweet potato that is typically pretty satiating, and uh -huh. then you can turn it into a, a, effectively a hyperpalatable dessert option. And and uh, and again, this isn't putting morality or right mm -hmm. or wrong on it. It's just being aware. And this is part of the benefit of that seven-day carb test. We recommend that folks eat these foods, you know, like my, my wife did a, a bowl of oatmeal or something like that plain and, you know, 50 grams of carbs from oatmeal is a lot. And she was like, I would kill to put a shake of salt, a pat of butter, like anything on this thing. And that's kind, that's interesting. Again, like, uh -huh. I don't know that I have the hundred percent right answer to that, but it's just really interesting where it's like, okay, when we eat really simple foods, it's very difficult to overeat them, you it know, is. and just a little addition of a little salt or a little sweet or a little umami or something like that, you could maybe double the food intake. And so that, that could be valuable if you're working with an athletic population and, and they're under eating. But, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the opposite could be true. You know, we need to figure out, OK, what's the you know, I can add salt to this thing, but I can't do salt and butter. Otherwise, it becomes cocaine like for me. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so neat. Oh my goodness. I could talk to you for hours, but I know you've got so much going on, Rob. Thank you again for coming on the show today. Everybody listening, as always, you can find a complete transcript, links to everything we've talked about. I'll include a link to his Instagram as well, so you can just pull up fedandfit.com and get all that great information. And if, you're, if you'd like to read back on some of the things he said, we'll have the transcript loaded soon. Rob, thanks again. I wish you all the best. Keep crushing it out there. I'm going to keep admiring you and uh, supporting from afar. Thank you so much. Thank you.